0: Hey, welcome to the NZ Everyday Investor. This is a special episode this week with Kristen Lundman and Rupert Carline about managed funds versus individual shares. Which strategy is best? Now, today is really an extension of the diversification versus concentration theme that I started a couple of shows ago. On that, by the way, the first link in the show notes is a short extra video that I've done recently on YouTube if you want to have a look at that one later on. Now, in some ways, it would be far easier if there was just one way to invest but there isn't. Sometimes it is an either or type thing, but with today, it's more about a spectrum. You may gravitate more towards managed funds if you prefer to put your faith in the compounding effect of the market, or you may gravitate towards shares, where you put your faith behind a specific company or a small group of them. But I think investing in managed funds and individual shares to some degree can make sense for many of us who aren't meant to be at the extreme ends of that spectrum. I personally see the value in being broadly diversified but concentrated in the areas of my greatest competence, confidence and conviction. In the pursuit of gain though, I'll occasionally learn to try on a new strategy that makes sense But in the end, it doesn't actually really fit well for how I'm wired or how I'm wired yet. For example, I understand a bit about being in business. That's all I really know, in fact. But investing in other businesses by owning individual shares isn't something that I intuitively get and naturally gravitate towards. I want to be a well-rounded investor though, so I persist. And it'll probably take me longer than some, I suspect, but I will get there eventually. All that to say, you may naturally find success in investing via managed funds, or your interest may be more towards that of owning individual shares. While I don't want to say what you should do, I suggest for many of us, we'd be wise to at least consider a combination of both. Investing in managed funds where you pool your money with other investors and a manager of some sort makes decisions on your behalf is simply an expression of diversification. Now, if you want to move forward as a concentrated investor, though, and get at least a chance of a return that's better than average, Owning individual shares that you have a high conviction on can be a great strategy. Now, for those of you who follow the NZ Everyday Investor on Clubhouse, you would have been treated to version one of this episode last Wednesday. While it was a great discussion with my two guests today, unfortunately, I didn't hit the record button. If that was meant to be my big break, I really dropped the ball on that one but I think version two is better anyway. Hopefully you'll agree. Kristen Lundman is the general manager and co-founder of the online investment platform Hatch. This is the platform that I use to build my U.S. share portfolio personally, and for the kids too. Rupert Carlin is the founder of Kura, a low-cost, passive KiwiSaver fund manager that uses digital advice and facilitates access via financial advisors. Both Cura and Hatch are partners to the NZ Everyday Investors. So this means that a small portion of the costs in getting this content out to you are covered by these businesses. Now on that, I've been a little bit picky with who I've partnered up with on the show, now, while I'm using them to help cover some of the costs in this podcast, I think it's really important to still be as independent as possible, and that requires pretty open-minded people to be involved with. So thanks again to Hatch and Cora there. Now, unlike my marriage, where I do believe in concentration as a strategy, with the podcast, I'm totally down with diversification, with topics and sponsors, so you can likely expect a little bit more in this space going forward. But before I move on from the topic of Hatch and Kura, please be sure to check out the notes for a special link to sign up to Hatch. If you're new to them and you want to make a start with U.S. shares, Here's the deal. You'll get a $20 credit if you sign up for the first time and you deposit $100 in there. Now with Kura, if you want to access their unique offering in the KiwiSaver space, you can access them now via some financial advisors, including myself. Just check out the bottom of the show notes for how to get in touch regarding this. All right, that's enough of an intro. Let's get started. Welcome to the NZ Everyday Investor Podcast. In this podcast, I cover a wide range of topics ranging from passive investing, property investment, and even crypto, all designed to help everyday Kiwis build new wealth in the new world that we're heading into. I'm Darcy Angaro, your host and financial advisor. Hopefully the content presented here gets you thinking about tools available to build wealth and the ways that you can use them effectively. Please keep in mind that none of this is financial advice. Investments or strategies discussed may not be suitable for everyone. So be sure to do your own research before acting on anything discussed today. Further information on today's show can be found by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player. Here you're going to find some show notes, which will contain all relevant links relating to today's topic. The NZ Everyday Investor Podcast is hosted on the podcast.nz network and is brought to you in partnership with Hatch, who lets you put your money to work in the U.S. share market. Hope you enjoy the show. Today, we're going to be talking about managed funds versus individual shares, pros and cons of each. And this is kind of along the lines of a concentration versus diversification sort of theme that I've been digging into a little bit lately. So I'll introduce who my special guests are today, and then we'll get stuck into it. So in the corner of managed funds or diversification, we have Rupert Carline. We have the archangel of asset allocation, the granddaddy of diversification, (laughs) Rupert Carline. Why don't, you, uh, why don't you tell us, Rupert, who you are and what you love about finance? Go for it. don't know
1: I need to say anything after that introduction. Uh,
0: <laughs> the so I am
1: MD of uh Kota Wealth. We are a new KiwiSaver team. So Dusty is right in that for us, it's all about portfolio theory and asset allocation. We believe getting people into the right KiwiSaver with the right asset map, along with the right contribution rate, is going to give people the right retirement. So we're all about empowering people to make better acuity decision. The reason I love what I do, I just love the market, to be honest. I've been uh, almost 20 years in and out of the market in various roles and the understanding and the ability to sit at a computer all day, researching, looking at the market, understanding what's happening. And then now in my current role, what's great is figuring out how we can use that information to help our customers and help people have better retirement. Um, by using what we learn through all that research that if I follow the markets,
0: I'm able to do. Cool. And so the other person that we have in the room here is lovely Kristen Lundman. We have the, uh, how should I introduce you? The queen of concentration, the, the diva of doubling down.
2: Um, <laughs> yes.
0: Chris, why don't you give us the lowdown? Give us your version <laughs> of the introduction of who you are. <laughs>
2: I love it. That's good. I love it. I am uh, Kristen Lundman, the GM of and co-founder of Hatch. Hatch is an investment platform here in New Zealand. Our mission is to um, be the platform that Kiwis trust to grow meaningful wealth. And that's why I love what I do, because what we're doing on Hatch is giving people basically access like they've never had before to world-class investment opportunities where they can build meaningful wealth. And so that's why I I love kind of all strategies, but I am for pro-concentration tonight and um, yeah, love to get into that in a little bit.
0: Cool. That's great. So Rupert, let's start with maybe some definitions for our listeners, because there'll be people from all sorts of places trying to understand what this debate is all about, you know, managed funds versus buying individual shares. Do you want to start off by explaining to us what a managed fund is?
1: So a managed fund is is a cold investment vehicle where your money is put with other people's money um, to invest on your behalf. And so you might have 100, 200, 10,000, a million people all investing together in a single managed fund. The two most common ways that those uh, those funds are managed is it can either be an active managed fund. And an active managed fund is where you have a fund manager making specific individual investment decisions. So saying think that I think that, um, that Tesla is a great buy right now or I think A2 is a great buy right now or playing the currency or making kind of active separate investments um, the alternative is passive investment and passive management and a passively managed fund is a fund that has followed a theme, and is the goal of that fund is to stick with that theme and to simply invest automatically according to generally an algorithm or set of parameters. The most common type of passive investing is index investing, where a fund will invest to try and match the returns of an index. So for example, they'll buy the entire S&P 500 or their entire NZX 50 to try and deliver investors the exact same return as that.
0: So managed funds briefly, a bunch of people pull their money together buy a bunch of companies, broad diversification, you know, a couple of different options in terms of the management style, but that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Um, so Kristen, you know, looking at what you believe in, not just what you do in, in Hatch, but what you believe in, you believe more in concentration, which is not an alternative strategy, but it's different from diversification. It's where you are doubling down on specific plays. So can yeah. you explain to us how you use individual shares to be a concentrated investor?
2: Yes. And just for um, the sake of probably hatch and um, is that we love diversification and obviously love what Rupert does, but I'm talking from a very personal sense. It's not advice um, tonight, but I'm just taking the stance from a very personal sense what I do. So um, I should just note that I love KiwiSaver and I actually um, also sleep well at night knowing that my KiwiSaver is diversified. And so what that gives me the freedom to do is in the rest of my investments outside of KiwiSaver um, be concentrated. So I'm all for company shares um, tonight and concentrating in those and um, or bonds actually. i happy to chat about that but what that would look, what that means is um, a company stock. So a company, a business um, is growing, usually owned by the founders or early investors, then they decide they need to Um, basically raise a bunch of money. And for the most part, that's what they do. And they do that, they can do that in a number of ways. But one of the ways they do that is they take a chunk of their company, and they sell it to the public. And so they go through a process called an IPO or initial public offering, and they offer their stock for sale. And all of a sudden, that becomes a publicly listed company on the share markets and where everyday investors like you and I can buy slices of that business. So that's what a company stock or a company share is. And that's why I love um that so much because you can actually be a part owner in a business um, and actually own a slice of that business without having the faff of, of kind of running it. And um, I'll just point to probably Warren Buffett um, being one of the um, kind of more, more well known advocates of this strategy. Um, and one of the most successful investors in the world is that he is a concentration um, you know advocate and in, in his portfolio, not necessarily for everyone, but him personally. So he buys large stakes. Of businesses that he knows inside and out, he knows well, and he buys and holds them. And that's what investing is: is you're buying a slice of a business and you're giving the business time to grow. Um, and he is probably one of the most ex- successful uh, examples of that.
0: It's a good example as well. I guess, I guess like broadly speaking, your know, diversification or investing via managed fund vehicle of some sort, you are really putting your faith in the market, right? Like you're putting faith in the market's ability to deliver a compounding return over time. Whereas with concentration by doubling down and, and buying individual shares, you're really focusing your firepower on on something that you really back and you believe in, right? So yeah. presumably with, with how you've done things, Kristen, you've probably picked on shares that you have you know, you kind of have an affinity with, you have a connection with, right? Like, are you comfortable yeah. with sharing? And I know this is definitely not financial advice. Don't do what Kristen does or me, yeah. that's for sure. Do it, do it. Rupert does for sure. That's safe. But is there anything that, you, anything that you, you're, you've done recently that you want to share about?
2: Are you talking about my purchase from yesterday? Um, yes, should... tell
0: us a bit about that.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. I'm actually just going into my Hatch portfolio now, and um, it's probably not a surprise, but um, I would have a um, you know probably six or seven tech stocks in my portfolio, um, the likes of businesses that I use every day, um, Apple. Um, you know, Roku, I've probably got some Microsoft. Um, yes, I've got some Tesla, which has gone very well. Um, but I, um, you know, I've been thinking about some of the um, Gen Z and just this demographic shift of the world and, and what people are, um, how people, the younger people are using products of the future. Now, I probably would have gotten gotten out of Facebook had it not been for Instagram and recognizing that is like core um, to Gen Z's life and social um, comms. So you kind of have to think about if I'm buying this business, what is it that's going to keep them growing and around in the long term, very much long-term investor. Um, but the one I did yesterday. Um, so, you know, I've got some, some Roblox, but also um, some Lululemon. I'm sorry. Nope. I do, but um, actually, it was yesterday. It was Pinterest? I had to remind myself what I what I thought. I invested a little bit in Pinterest, really just about watching kind of Gen Z and how they're actually transforming that platform um, away from the traditional use of um, DIY cooking and stuff. And they're actually creating curated, um, you know, curated um, offerings um, in Pinterest. And, and there's a big opportunity to monetize that entire generation. So yeah, that that's was my purchase yesterday, which is down slightly, but I'm in for the long term.
0: Of course you are. Yes. Good answer. <laughs> and uh, Rupert, like I know that with Kura, so you're a fund manager in this context, right? So you're managing a whole range of investments, a lot of people's money, a lot of investments. I'm guessing that from a cost point of view, I just want to kind of dig into a little bit more detail around what the fees look like on, under both these models. Presumably, it's a little bit cheaper, the more scale you have. So can you explain how fees work when you're investing via a managed fund?
1: Yeah, well, I think I think it's worth going one step further back than that as to why it's cheaper, right? Because you, you you've spent a lot of time talking about diversification, and that that is the beauty about a managed fund. If if I put a thousand people together and put their their money together, then it means that we can we can properly diversify across different regions, across different stocks, different equities, et cetera. And that's a really really important part to make sure you're protected um, from any downturn or any upturn. And that's a really important point to consider when we're talking about fees, because so a managed funds, uh, the fees are generally structured as an ongoing assets under management fee. So, um, for example, we we'll use the the Coda scheme. The um, fees are 0.6%. So you'll be charged 0.6% of your underlying asset balance each and every year. And that's a fee that we charge for managing your investments, doing custody, um, and a whole series of other services as well. And that that might sound expensive on the face of it, but what you are getting for that is you are getting the ability to put in anywhere from $2 a week all the way up to $1,000 a week, um, or $100,000 a week, sorry, and the ability to not incur transaction charges on the way through. We pay transaction charges, which are only a fraction um, of what a a typical retail investor pays, and that's because of the scale that we do. So every time you put in your $2 a week, you're getting, as Kristen talks about owning individual shares, your $2 is buying you a very, very tiny slither of a whole series of shares in the US, in China, and in New Zealand. So you're getting, in my view, a huge amount uh, for your money out of that.
0: Because obviously you, you wouldn't be able to, you know, like from a cost point of view, if you're buying the individual shares within a KiwiSaver or a managed fund, you're paying a lot of fees across the range if you were to do that in one go, right? But the, because this is a pooled investment, you're buying into the you're buying units of the fund, which is actually doing the work for you, right? But you also, um, you know, in terms of the other services that you mentioned, you know, rebalancing is probably a really important component, right? Like it's, it's probably something that a lot of self-directed DIY investors probably ignore to a certain extent, right? Whereas the fund manager manager is periodically doing that themselves, right?
1: It's a really great point, the rebalancing. So Tesla uh, is someone's favorite, uh, everyone's favorite at the moment. And I think I'd be, and Kristen, I don't know if you know the numbers on this um, from your platform, but how many people have rebalanced Tesla or have it as still as one of their largest holdings? Because actually you should never own more than probably have 10% of your uh, holding of your wealth sitting in a single kind of equity or a single exposure given Tesla's gone up, what, tenfold in the past kind of 12, 18 months? Um, Have we seen people rebalancing? Have we seen people kind of managing that or people just let it run?
2: Yeah, I don't know. It's a a great question and all valid points. Um, I think with, you know, with with shares, I actually, I I love that for um, the accessibility of funds and that for many investors to get going, um, the ability just to buy into a fund and spread their money over thousands of companies at a very low cost absolutely makes sense. The one thing I'd love to see disrupted, though, at some point is this whole basis points thing. And if people don't know what that is, it's a very... I mean, it, putting it simply is a percentage point. And so as your wealth grows, um, they're actually taking a cut of your percentage. And so, you know, my KiwiSaver, um, same thing, you know, as my balance grows, people are making more and more and more on my KiwiSaver without kind of doing more. So it's I would love to eventually see that um, disrupted a little bit. And that, and the pricing on the shares side um, is, uh, on Hatch anyway, it's $3 USD USD to buy. So I might save up. Um, you know, 500 or $1,000 um, and invest in a given business, I do a little bit of research on it, um, get to know, um, I'm probably using it or know someone that's using it, um, do do my research on it, and then I'll spend $3 to buy into that stock. My expectation is to hold that unless something really changes um, in terms of with that business in the next decade, um, I would hold that and when I go and sell it, that'll be $3 to sell it. So I'm not day trading, I'm not buying and selling, um, you know, Hatch isn't kind of built for that it's about actually people coming in investing in pioneers of tomorrow sectors of tomorrow businesses of tomorrow um and owning a stake of those businesses for the long term uh, on the, managed ahead, funds,
1: the, the fixed pricing model and i think that's a, it's, I think it's a really great point and i think it's mm. talked about a lot in the industry there has actually been someone in here in new zealand that's that that is doing that and they tried that um, unfortunately what they found is that they couldn't make it work economically yeah i know the brutal honesty in finance is larger customer balances, whether it be banking, any any financial service industry place that you have, larger customer balances subsidise smaller balances. Isn't
2: it also just down the value chain, like you know the people that actually hold at the very end of the day hold the shares. That's how they charge. Therefore, that's how KiwiSaver providers have to charge. Like, isn't it actually right down the chain that has to be disrupted? So, so yeah. we,
1: we we run we run businesses. Let's say like ours right so we have a very large uh fixed cost base but we also have mm. a pretty clunky variable cost set of variable costs as well and those variable costs come along with um mm. extra technology extra people a whole lot of stuff as we scale up and get more and more people on board and so for us if we were to run it as a fixed pricing model kind of had a look at this we would be significantly more expensive for yeah. people with balances over fifty to below fifty to probably a hundred thousand dollars and where we currently are. And you're uh, right.
2: I think I think it, it is what it is. I'm just it's just funny. It's just that weird thing of like the more I make, the more I get, you know, the more. Well, no, it, no, 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 no. <laughs>
1: right? And, right. and to be fair, that's what the FMA is having a big guide at the moment, right? Is yeah. how do we put yeah. these down? The, I have had this debate with the FMA as well, because I don't think we want to get rid of the cross-subsidization because the people that need the support. Are the ones that get the support which is what that mm. kind of the charging and the kind of model bring allows us to to do
0: to each according to their means right so if we if we talk now about returns because ultimately a lot of investors you know it's it's we're thinking about strategies we're thinking about what the fees are but ultimately really it's about what comes back to us it's about the returns yeah. so with let's start with managed funds i'm confronted every time when i look into this and and especially here messaging sometimes marketing just sometimes Pure data. I'm confronted with this message that everyday investors can't beat the market average rate of return over time. I don't like that truth, but I have to acknowledge that, that that is true, right? So, Rupert, do you want to just kind of explain to me or explain to our audience what that means?
1: I think it's been proven over and over again that there are almost no, very, very few investors in the world can beat the market over a decent period of time. S&P report release a report every year called the Spiva research which compares the average mutual fund across the world to the markets and those reports always show that the average mutual fund or the average managed fund sorry comes in kind of anywhere between one and a half to two percent below the market very very hard for investors to beat the market over the long run and even those investors that do manage to beat the market over a five-year period less than five sorry 15 less than 15 percent of them will beat the market consistently over a second five-year period. So they've got it right in a set of market conditions and then are unlikely to get it right again. Bristol, you raised Warren Buffett earlier. So back in 2007, Warren Buffett had a bet with uh, one of the most successful hedge fund managers in the world. At the time, I can't remember the name, but he said, look, you pick your top 15 hedge fund managers and hedge funds are meant to be the cream to the cream and the smartest active managers that exist and the smartest stock pickers in the market and let's bet a million dollars that um, my S&P 500 will perform better than your 15 hedge funds. And they gave up after kind of four years because the market was so far ahead. And so time and time again, um, we find that active investors might do well for a couple of years or three or four years, but very rarely do well over the medium or long term.
2: Yeah, and I think there's, there's got a lot of, um, you know, certainly lumping, A lot of people in that, let's not forget, you know, the traders and and probably making you know, people that are panic selling or, or making, you know, emotional decisions. And so that that I suppose is the trick is that recognizing investing is buying a slice of a business um, that you intimately know, um, and, and kind of back to grow over the long term. So, um, well, totally agree with you. I think the um, probably smart and lazy way is, is to have a, a, most of your money kind of chunked in, into that and just letting it grow. But looking at the S&P 500, which is the 500 biggest businesses in the US, um, it, just looking at the last five years. And to your point, Rupert, you're right, it's a period of time, um, just over 110% growth. So that's great. You know, that's just tracking the market. Um, It's doing certainly much better than sitting in a savings account. But why someone might invest in a stock is if I look back at the growth of companies like Amazon during that same period and Netflix during that same period, they're 500%. And so there is a case um, to be made that, and it's why actually most people do both, but there is a case to be made for that concentrated strategy. The reason people do it is because they feel they can pick those Amazons and Netflix. Um, Granted, the conditions have been great, with the exception of that one crash, which We've you know have recovered from, but um, and in fact, in the past three years, retail investors have outperformed you know hedge funds and and Wall Street. But yes, it's been an exceptional time in the stock market. But hey, while it is exceptional time, um, why not try to at least get engaged with a few companies and look to get that 500 instead of the 100? And I'm not talking the Game Stops and the whatever. I'm just talking about solid businesses, you know, billion dollar businesses um, that we use every day. And I I think uh,
1: that's the piece that kind of does confound me. We have a, we do, and that's what's really interesting at the moment, where we do have a market which is highly concentrated. The top Mm. five or six companies in the US make up about 25% of the market. It's never, ever, ever been that concentrated before. But as to your point, what is also very different, these are all businesses that we all know and use every single day. And it is truly amazing kind of where that concentration has gone. And I, Hmm. what I kind of struggle with in my mind, but this is because I'm old and traditional, is that normal? Is this the new norm, or is this something
2: yeah, that, I yeah.
1: and that's the yeah. that I can't Around all I know
2: my career. I would place my bets on a new normal and the reason I say that is because of technology you know it's completely changed how we act and how we engage on a global scale this is no longer you know New Zealand at the bottom of the earth um, this is very much we are using the same tools and the same platforms and shopping you know and, and relatively probably shopping isn't a great example but if you're in Australia you'd certainly be using Amazon but people are um, just so homogeneous in their behaviors now um, I know that the brands that my kids wear and the, the video games that they're on and the shows that they watch are the exact same that are happening, you know, in China and the exact same in Brazil and the exact same in the U.S. And so this is very much a new normal, um, in my opinion. Th- and thanks to tech.
1: The, the big question I can't get my head around. And this is a slight digression. <laughs> sorry, guys. But you've got to let me <laughs> for a while. Um, That's right. Does this move to tech? change the information asymmetries. So one of the reasons why I personally gave up on individual investing and stopped investing in individual stocks was I spent 10 years in an investment bank and spent a lot of time on trading floors and and kind of in working with companies. And there was just this massive information asymmetry where as a wholesale investor or as a actively managed fund investor, these guys before they made an investment decision, they would typically meet management three times. They would talk to three different analysts. They would have their own internal analysts spending a month and doing so much work. And once I fully understood the professional investors kind of approach to investing, I, I, that's where I kind of said, look, there's no way in the world that I'm ever going to be able to match that, even sitting inside a bank with my own resources. So why mm. would I try? And then I kind of mm. went further on and realized that these guys still lose, so I'm better off going passive. But, um, yeah, that's the big thing. And so my question to you is, do we think technology has changed that?
2: Yeah, that's why I think we're seeing, um, you know, the massive outflows from managed, um, you know, schemes into passive um, is, is for that very reason, is that that advantage um is is probably still um you know tough, and we've seen massive moves in the market in the past year because of retail investors. you know, we know they've moved markets, and so I think quite a lot has changed. um but yeah, information um is it's pretty hard to beat or game or get out ahead of anything now, which you know to your point. but um I think, yeah, yeah. Interesting.
0: Yeah. And it's like kind of almost like the interpretation of that information is is really the next frontier and almost being contrarian at the right time. That seems to be the Mm -hmm. only strategy because, yeah, it it is moving towards more of that efficient market hypothesis, it seems, right, with technology and everything is instantaneous. Let's move on because we've, we've covered the benefits to some degree of, you know, managed funds and then also that of a concentrated strategy. I think we've kind of done that, but I'm a guy that kind of looks a foot in each camp right like i I like to Mm -hmm. kind of always hold things in tension with these things can one of you if one of you are comfortable with doing this and i know that you're not really fully extreme in these points of view i know that you are balanced Mm -hmm. people but can one of you explain to me the what the core satellite approach attempts to solve in terms of bridging these two strategies together from a,
2: from a Hatch perspective, we call it core and conviction. And the reason we do that is because your core um, should be kind of spread across hundreds, if not thousands of businesses. And the most perfect cost effective way to do that is in funds. You know, we do have you know, over 500 um, exchange traded funds on Hatch to do um, that. Of course, I use my KiwiSaver for that. But um, in terms of the, the conviction is it's, you know, you're going to take a chunk of your money and that could be look anywhere from, well, for some people, obviously, it's 100%. But um, for, for a lot of people that looks anywhere between kind of 10 to 40 percent of conviction where they're kind of saying, look, I'm actually going to invest in a handful of quality businesses. It could be 10, it could be 20. Um, My expectation is that not only do I enjoy kind of um, the benefits of um, owning a slice of a business, I get voting rights, I get to participate, um, you know, feel like I'm an owner of that business, I can build my um, empire and be a tycoon. But um, I think the point is, is that you wouldn't go to that effort. Um, part of it would be hobby. You, some, you know, you get the hobbyists that would range all the way up to 100% conviction. Um, but I would suggest the the ra- why some people would do it is because they really do believe that part of the portfolio can outperform the core part. Or you wouldn't kind of attempt to do it. I think so. Yeah, that that's probably that conviction part is you know I want to back what I believe um, in a very personalized, um, focused way. Um, I feel as that's probably going to outperform, but it is riskier because you know that it's that risk. R- reward thing. It's um, slightly higher risk. Well, it is higher risk, um,
0: but for potentially greater reward. Good explanation. I I like core conviction rather than core satellite. I'm going to start using that from now on. (laughs) Did (laughs) Did you make that up? Did you guys make that up?
2: I'm not going to claim it because I think I heard it somewhere. We were trying forever what we, what we would call it. And it was like, yeah. you know, yeah. land and sexy islands. Like we couldn't quite figure out <laughs> what we're And I might've just heard the word conviction and I'm like, just I want to I wanna go to
0: sexy Island though. Hey, that sounds really good too.
2: I think that stuck around for one webinar, to be fair. But anyway, um, but yeah, no, I love that. Um, the idea of kind of activism. And I'd love to hear from Rupert, like, um, you know, what are the sense of activism? Sorry. Activism, I know, you know, as shareholders on Hatch, you get to vote. Um, I get, you know, um, you're a Tesla shareholder and make sure to vote. And I vote Elon Musk in or out or whatever, um, as much as my little share ca- shares count. But um, how does it work for funds, Rupert?
1: Well, I think managed funds is kind of interesting, right? Because the the beauty about managed funds is you're voting. So first and foremost, as an investor, you need to make sure you've chosen a fund and a fund manager that aligns Mm -hmm. with your And so you need to basically, you're trusting this person with your money. And so you need to make sure that they are going to act in your best interest and act in the way that you believe they will. And the beauty about if you can find a fund that does that, then um, they will vote. And rather than it just being your single shares or your kind of small number of shares voting, then they'll be able to create that, cast that vote with a significantly yeah. larger yeah. number of shares. So the ultimate activist at the moment um, is BlackRock, Larry Fink. Every year yeah. he sends yeah. all of his, um, BlackRock is the largest fund manager in the world. They own somewhere between probably 5 and 7% of the global stock markets. Um, so when he sends his letters out and he sends these are the themes that my guys are gonna kind of focus on this year, everyone takes notice. Everyone is mm. petrified. Because if you go, if you're getting a letter and you know that immediately anywhere between five and ten percent of your yeah. register will be posting yeah. that way you're going
2: to take notice. I love Uh, that they did that. And I think they took real aim at big oil earlier this year. eh? He put out and and he basically put it to them to say, you know, shape up. I want to see better work on the emissions and and, um, your um, governance and everything. So so I love it. I think that's great. I love activism. Uh, Arguably with him though. Arguably
1: he is is doing that and he is creating those letters, but the votes, the voting power, the voting track record of Blackboard, doesn't quite align with those letters as well. So I think they've still got further to go. But it it just shows the power of being an investor. I mean, me sitting inside um, and kind of working with corporates in some of my previous roles, we were petrified whenever one of our larger corporate, when our larger managed funds um, came to us and said, hey, we think this is dumb or we don't like this or we don't like this. You need to change things. You need to do things. Um, It was amazing when they want to those guys can create significant change extremely quickly. Um, And I think people don't quite understand how much of that actually happens. One of the slight issues is that a lot of that happens behind closed doors. So people will arrange a meeting with the chairman, CEO, the board to talk through the stuff. Um, Whereas actually coming back to the new way of doing things, a lot of the stuff should be called out publicly instead. But but people take notice because if you own 5 10% of a company, and you've got the rights to vote down directors. They have to take notice. All
0: right. Now, as we bring this in for a landing, just a quick reminder, if anybody is listening out there and you want to ask a question, now is the time before we we finish up shortly. There's one question here that I've got and it kind of um, is linked into something I was going to ask you anyway. I might direct this one to you, Kristen. When I first started getting involved in investing, it was KiwiSaver. That was the first thing that I went to. And it wasn't so much because I was trying to be diversified. But later on, when when my awareness grew, I, I really gravitated more towards investing in funds rather than individual shares. The individual shares mm. kind of came in afterwards when I had higher conviction. Yeah. Do you find that on the Hatch platform in particular, do you find that investors initially start off with exchange-traded funds, ETFs, and then move into individual shares? Or is there anything that you can share with me around that?
2: I would say um, on Hatch, no, Uh, we've got 70% that come in and invest in a company. And that's just because um, for so long they wanted to own a slice of, you know, XYZ. Lately it's Rocket Lab or whatever. And so they um, recognize the businesses, I think now thanks to education and awareness of investing, they recognize that a business... Um, that they love has gone public, and they want to own a slice of it, and that could be their very first time investing. And I'll use an example, two examples. The first is Beyond Meat. When Beyond Meat rolled onto Hatch, we had a huge number of first-time investors. Um, they didn't want, they didn't want to be known as investors and understand investing. Probably had a KiwiSaver, you know, potentially a mortgage, whatever. Um, but the point is, is that they wanted to own a slice in that business, um, and if that meant they put five hundred or, or six hundred bucks behind it. Um, That was their experience as an investor. Similarly with Slack, I know that that was quite popular. Snowball was another one on Hatch. We've got Allbirds that are coming up. There's no, I have no doubt, there will be um, thousands of new investors that will come in and start their investing journey because of Allbirds, because they've worn the shoes for years. They love the brand. They love what that company stands for and they want to own a slice of it. So they're going to come on to Hatch and that will be their first foray into investing. Um, They're not probably going to read, you know, all of the charts and the prospectus protect about the business, but they're going to know, I know what that business is doing. I know what they stand for. I know they're taking on Nike and they're probably going to expand into all sorts of countries. So I'm going to, you know, make that choice. And so I think that is a great way. Um, to learn about investing and to become engaged with investing um, versus mm-hmm. starting with that s- way you started with, um, which I would call very passive and equally smart approach. Um, but you're not really learning about what investing is, which is effectively mm-hmm. buying it to a bunch of businesses. And so I would mm-hmm. say, on Hatch, mostly we see the other side, but I'm, I'm obviously a huge proponent of investing in, in, in funds. But I, I do think there comes a time where you need to learn and the fastest way to learn is to do that with company stocks and learn your That's risk good. tolerance, learn you know all that stuff about investing.
0: The passive aggressive investor, right? That's my style. <laughs> yeah. Now I've got a question here. I want you guys to speak to this one because this is um, probably a common theme that's coming up here. It, we're we're obviously in a in a weird time. We've been in a weird time for about eighteen months. Let's let's just say, and with weird times comes volatility in share markets, and naturally people can kind of freak out. Some people look at that as opportunity. Some people look at that as, whoa, I need to take. You know, some of the chips off the table. So managed funds versus individual shares, different dynamics at play when there's a lot of volatility in the market. Right. So, Mm -hmm. you know, Simon here is asking a question. What do you guys see happening in the next 12 months in the crazy world that we're living in?
2: We know we know the share markets are going to go down at some point. That is guaranteed every you know seven years. There's a big correction. Um, so we know that. So at some point there's going to be a bump. Um, managed funds um, uh, will less try to lessen. Correct me if I'm wrong, Rupert, but if I'm to have everything in I'm um, an industry that's affected by COVID lockdown, um, I might just do. Uh, let's just pretend Nike didn't have online sales because I think their online sales went well. But for all of a sudden, lockdown happens, the world shuts. Um, my Nike shares potentially might have tanked because people can no longer go into stores and buy them. In fact, I think their um, e commerce online sales went up, which um, largely protected a lot of businesses. Disney might be a good example, even though they're streaming. You can see I'm getting complicated. <laughs> this isn't really working my examples. That's um, no, good. But- You know, if I have all my money in one of those shares or five of those shares that are hugely affected by, um, you know, lockdown or by um, something, those shares, um, you know, are probably going to dive a lot more than if I were to have my money spread across multiple sectors and be a little bit protected. Um, So I think you'll probably generally speaking see less volatility in funds and managed funds um, but again it's it is long term we know guaranteed the markets are going to go down so the question is um, do you have the emotional kind of resilience to not panic um, and if you still you know have that strategy to kind of hold and ride those bumps out and and we know that over time the highs always outweigh the lows um, with the markets
1: quarter part is it's exactly what you just said it, it will happen whether it happens this year next next year, five years, 10 years, we know it will happen. Um, And so you just have to prepare for it happening. And the two ways that you prepare yourself for it happening, uh, number one, diversification. You need to be well diversified, diversified in different markets, again, different sectors. Uh, Japan, they had their crash back in the late 90s um, and the markets have only just recovered. New Zealand after 87, took 10, 12 years to recover, whereas the rest of the world recovered in two or three years. Um, mm. So you always just need to make sure you're well diversified so that when the crash happens um, or you're not overly exposed to a single company, a single sector or a single market. The second most important piece, um, exactly uh, exactly what Kristen said, is understand your risk tolerance and your risk appetite. If you're investing a whole piece of money that you think you're going to need to access in the next two to three years, you need to think really hard about mm. is equity markets. The right place for you to be invested. Because fundamentally the biggest mistake that people make is withdrawing their investments or changing their investment strategy at the bottom of a at the bottom of a market cycle. Last year we saw that quite a lot. We saw 15% of KiwiSaver members of growth funds move from growth to conservative funds. Um, yeah. And that's because they either were scared, didn't have anyone to talk to or alternatively, probably were about to buy a house and shouldn't have been there in the first place. Um, but what that did is they sold when the market might have been 20, 30% down. So their KiwiSaver funds lost 20 or 30%. Um, and then over the next 12 months, they've ridden that through in a, in a conservative fund. Um, and that's actually gone flat to negative as well. So they're still sitting there 20% down. Whereas the investors that managed to kind of ride through the wave, are sitting there looking at their growth fund and the growth fund is kind of up 20% on where it was pre-COVID. Um, and so it's a really kind of, again, weird times, but a really good example of understand your risk appetite, sort out your asset allocation when you're investing um, and when you set those investments such that uh, when the crash happens, you can see it through and then you're comfortable just sitting there. Yeah, don't,
2: don't put anything in that you need out in 12 months, that's for sure, because we don't know where it's going to be in 12 months, but it's likely going to be um, much higher in 10 years than today. So just kind of use that that thinking.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Awesome. Really awesome. good advice. A lot of this is around not so much trying to predict what will happen in the market. It's about how to actually prepare, which is consistent mm. with who you are because it yeah. will happen and we don't know when it is, uh, when it's mm-hmm. going to happen. So it's just about making sure that you're structured in a way to be able to handle it. So I've got one here from someone showing me a, a thumbs up and a rocket ship. That's probably the best one.
2: If it's Rocket Lab. Actually, well, up, let, let's, know? let's,
0: yeah, let, let's go there. About 200%, isn't it?
1: On our call conversation the other night it said it the best about Rocket Lab. He said, I've met the the people and they're exceptional. And number one rule in investing, if you're going to do single stock investing, and met the people because management and the quality of management and how they operate is by far and away the most important thing. And um, you got to say the Rocket Lab management team seems to be pretty good.
2: Yeah, yes, it's certainly going well. I think we've got about, we've got almost 5,000 in Rocket Lab um, at the moment. And what are they up since listing? They're 100%. They're up 100% um, since they rolled onto the share market. So good, good for Peter. Um, you know, they've all gone well. It'll be a bumpy ride for those. Um, you know, they've, they've all, their first earnings were released yesterday. Look really positive. They've got lots of backlog, meaning they've got lots of launches kind of prepared that they're planning um, to consider. Um, they're they're building a big rocket um, to you know eventually to carry. Larger uh, payloads like humans um, to, you know, the moon or to the International Space Station that seems to be tracking well. They're signing some really interesting contracts with partners and they're starting to build, you know, they've got more fingers in the space pie um, building satellite parts. Um, So they're, you know, being quite smart and expanding from a launch company to kind of a wider space platform, as they call it. So don't rush in. It's going to be a bumpy six months. And don't forget at six months, a lot of the insiders get to sell their shares so that, you know, there'll be some bumps ahead. But um, look, it's going well. I'm sure most investors are chuffed.
0: Now, really quickly, um, on the topic of IPOs, one of the questions is, is, you know what is an IPO and how can I invest in it? And this kind of yeah. goes back to what we were saying off air before we even push record, Kristen. Yeah. Um, you guys have got something up talking about this specifically, don't you?
2: Yeah, so we, we're, um, I mean, the probably the next one to roll on to hatch will be Allbirds. Um, and to get into the IPO price usually is reserved for... Uh, big, big investors. Um, Rupert called it wholesale investors before the likes of the Warren Buffetts of the world. They get access um, to that IPO price, and so what happens is they get to buy the shares. Um, a company decides to list publicly, sells its um, shares, um, use a, uses an expensive bank to take it on a roadshow, and, and you know generate interest in the company, which sets the price of those shares. So let's say, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if. Um, Rocket Lab didn't go on, use this process, but um, let's just say S- uh, Snowball, for example, sold to Warren Buffett at $70 was the IPO share. The next day, Warren Buffett or investment banks will turn around and sell those shares to all of us. And that's when the company goes through its initial public offering. And so that's the first time that everyday investors typically can buy those shares. Um, but unfortunately, by the time it hits the share markets, that $70 quite often is no longer around. And I think for Snowflake, as an example, that rolled on at like $140. So So a lot of people other than the company made a ton of money on that stock. So to get that $70 is tough, but it's changing. So increasingly, I think we're going to see retail investors through platforms like Hatch have access to IPO um, shares in the coming years because there's that environment's changing. Um, It's not fair and we're looking to level the playing field. But for now, um, we are, you know, anything that's IPOing on the US share markets will roll on to Hatch, you know, when it hits the public share markets.
0: That's cool. Awesome. One last quick question. This one I'm going to aim at you if you don't mind, Rupert. So with a market correction looking likely in the near future, do you hedge by cashing out a percentage of your portfolio to reinvest after correction or do you take the hit? What do you think about that question, Rupert? I think
1: this is a conversation and the same question that everyone's been saying since about May last year, to be perfectly honest. And so you, you could do that. Um, just be aware that the market might be up a further 20, 30% over the next um, couple of months or year before that happens and you'll miss out on that. And you're
2: thing. missing out. That's that, that's exactly. that time in you're the market over timing the market. Timing the market is exactly. pretty tough. Hey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, timing the market.
1: Right. Very, very few people can do that successfully. and so Well, the,
2: look, there, and you wonder, is it, luck? is it luck when they're doing that anyway? Oh, that
0: could you know. be,
1: yes, that's the short answer. <laughs>
2: Yeah.
0: There you go. <laughs> Good way to yeah. finish it. Okay, guys. Well, I'll, um, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much. Kristen Lundman from Hatch, uh, Rupert Carline from Kura Kiwi KiwiSaver. Really appreciate your time coming in the show today. Thanks very much. Nice
2: to chat. See Thank you, guys. You everyone. Right. Have a great Take day. Take care, everyone. Thank
0: Thanks for listening in to the NZ Everyday Investor Podcast, a show that's about helping you, the everyday Kiwi, build wealth. To learn more about the show, please visit nzeverydayinvestor.com or visit your show notes on your podcast player. There, you can find out how to make contact, sign up to our newsletter, and check out previous episodes. We're on a mission to increase wealth for everyday Kiwis. If you'd like to support what we do, then there's a few things that you can do. Write a review on whatever platform you're listening to this on share episodes with your friends, or support us financially on Patreon. Before we finish up, just another reminder that what was discussed today is for educational purposes only. Ideally, before acting on anything covered here, please contact your trusted financial advisor or do your own research. Hope you enjoyed today's episode and we'll catch you next time around.